Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given on Sunday morning, July 3rd, 2022, by Tom Job from the Gospel of John in chapter 15. Okay, so this is from John chapter 15, and it says, so this was like the night, the last night Jesus spent with his guys that he was going to send them like out into the world on their mission, and they didn't, the, the, everything was super unclear to them at this point, but he was just dropping kind of seeds of like, these are the most important things that you guys need to, and I'll, he, he basically said the Holy Spirit will help you remember this stuff when everything gets cleared up, so I'm going to say it now, but the most important things that he wanted them to know before he was getting ready to send them out like into the world to share his, um, as Luke said, to go into the world and preach forgiveness to everyone. So in chapter 50, so they had left like this room and they, would go, they were walking down the hillside of Jerusalem like late at night and walking by the vineyards. And Jesus said in chapter five, in verse five of John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, Lord, help us to understand this just more deeply. Um, there's a, like an entire world around us, people that we know, people we don't know, that wanna know, is there anybody is there anybody who's different? Is there anybody who's found something that I'm looking for? <sighs> anyway, help us to understand it and help us to be this. In your name, amen. So, um, so there's this guy. I really like him. Uh, I, I mean, I kind of love his books. He's, um, he was a guy who was a... Um, a priest, he's with the Lord now, named Henry Nouwen, and he saw this poster of a, it was a poster of a painting that Rembrandt had done of the prodigal son coming home, and he just loved it so much that he had to, one time he had to go to uh, St. Petersburg in Russia, in Russia for a thing, and um, he did, arranged to go to the Hermitage Art Museum in St. Petersburg, and, he, and he, he made a deal where he could take a folding chair in there and he sat in front of that painting for eight hours and just looked at it and then he came back the next day and sat in front of it for eight hours and looked at it and then he did it on the third day and just looked at it for like um 24 hours like kind of straight and just stared at it and just noticed stuff and he wrote a book about it which is amazing which is all the stuff that he noticed just staring at this painting but it's kind of like that like if you look at a like a painting and just kind of stare at it you just notice stuff you learn stuff like where we used to live in Milano that's where in the in the church of Santa Maria delle Grazie that's where the they have the last supper which is like about as big as like from where Charlie is that windows all the way to the wall there and um so there's some things about it that, so actually and you're just like why is everybody like on one side of the table but actually that was a Dominican monastery and that was their cafeteria where they ate and so there were tables where you know coming this way where the monks ate and they and um 
it, they were, so those tables were at the same level as that table. So it's kind of like you're eating with Jesus and the disciples, you know? And they're, they're kind of on that side. You're kind of sideways this way. They, and so this was like 100 years after this, a painter from Florence discovered perspective. Like what is, like when, if they did angels, they would just do like an angel here, one up here, one up here, one up here. And he said, you know, if you paint one and then act like you're painting one behind it, it looks like they're behind it. And people were like, shut up. How did you figure that out? I mean, it was kind of like, you know, Jurassic Park when it, the first one came out. It was like, how did you do that? So people were learning how to make, like, make things look further away and all that stuff. So people were painting pictures, somebody pointing their finger at you and all that. But, so, but from the table behind, the room goes back behind, like Jesus and the disciples, the exact same distance of what the room was. So it, the painting doubled the size of the room. Super cool. But, so, but so, like, supposedly it was the moment where Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. So, and those tables came this way. So they were sitting this way and Jesus and the disciples were that way. And the only one that turned sideways and is going the same direction as you is Judas. So you're kind of like supposed to eat and think, am I going to betray Jesus like he did? <laughs> so bon appetit. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, they, but you know, so like the most famous, Amer like probably the most familiar American painting to, well, to Americans is like my, like my, one of my favorite painters named Grant Wood. He did like these amazing landscapes, but it's the one called American Gothic where it's the old man and he's wearing his overalls, standing in front of a farmhouse with his wife. And she has this terrible look on her face. Like I'm the saddest person in the world. And then when you, when you just, look at it, you notice several things and one is that like he has a shirt on with no collar and it has stripes that go straight up and down the siding on the farmhouse has got, the siding goes up and down he has lines on his face that go straight up and down and then he's holding a pitchfork and it's just straight up and down like everything just straight up and down and she is looking at him like Oh my word. And her hair's up in a bun, but part of it's coming down. And she's wearing like a cameo brooch. And it's Aphrodite, the goddess of love. I'm not sure what. <laughs> I'm not sure what the story is, but I think there was one. But there. But, um,. You know, just, you know, looking at stuff. Like in Florence, Italy, where we used to live, um, there's one of the most famous piazzas in the world, uh, squares, is the Piazza della Signoria, where that's right, where they have, where the Medici's had their government and all that stuff, and the Uffizi Art Gallery is. And that's where there's a copy of the Statue of David by Michelangelo. The, the real one's in a museum, but that's where the, it originally was, so you get a better feeling for what it, and you just notice things if you just stare at it. Like the, um, I always thought that the, he had the handle of the sling was in his left hand, but the handle's in his right hand. That's the rock. He has the rock and the sling's going around his back. Like, I'm ready to fight you any second. And if I'm in the shower, I'll just come out and fight you. Like, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's like three statues in that square that are 11 to 17 feet tall that are all in their birthday suit. So there's a, uh, I don't know what that's all about. But one morning I remember I was running. I used to run there from seven to, six to seven in the morning because nobody was up and the whole city belonged to me. And I ran through that square. Morning, fellas, you know, just kind of, but it was about 31 degrees and it, there was two inches of snow that had, you know, accumulated on everyone and everything. So just, these statues had snow all over them. 
And you know how like they say it's 94 degrees, but it feels like 103? When you look at statues like that with snow all over them, it was 31, but it felt like 24. You know what I mean? It just felt colder. Just looking at those guys standing there with snow all over them. But so, there, so all that to say is, so John, 23, John 15, Jesus said, I want to, um, I want you to look at something. I want you to look at this vine. So I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop just kind of looking at it. This grapevine, and it has branches, four branches coming out of it. And just think about it. Like, so what are you going to tell me about it? Just look at it. Like Jesus said, if you have anxiety problems, just look at birds. Just stare at them. And think about it. If you were, if you have anxiety, look at lilies and think about it. Just think about it. And he's just like, so look at this vine. There's a, a hill full of vines with branches. Four branches come out. Just look at them. And th this is the most important thing I could possibly tell you. And it's like, well, tell me. Just look at it. Like, that the most important thing is that there be fruit in people that love Jesus, that there be something, eventually something beautiful and sweet and delicious and, you know, um, that brings joy to people. They make wine out of it and it brings joy to people. This is the most important thing to the heart of God and the heart of Jesus is that his people be sweet and beautiful and joyful, you know? So, just, so that's what I've been doing. It's just kind of thinking about it and looking at it. And so this is a thing that's kind of struck me this week as I was thinking about it. And it's kind of this. So when you think about that vine and branches and just kind of stare at them and then think about what you're noticing. And one thing that I noticed is that a branch coming out of a grapevine is not like a branch in a tree. Because a branch in a tree, like if you look up in a tree, there's a little branch that's stuck to another branch that's stuck to another branch that's stuck, it's stuck to another branch, and they're getting bigger as you go down, but then there's more up here, but then they're stuck into other ones, and eventually they're stuck into a great big branch, and eventually they're stuck into the trunk of the tree. So they're stuck to a branch, which is stuck to a branch, which is stuck to a branch. But a grapevine isn't that way. A grapevine is stuck to the I mean, like a branch in a grapevine is stuck itself like into the vine. So whatever this means, like whatever this means, like depending on Jesus or um, the life of Jesus in me to make me a beautiful person, whatever it is, whatever it means, you have to do it yourself. Like you have to do it alone. Other people can do it with you. There are people that have done it before you, but nobody can do it for you. It's kind of like Alcoholics Anonymous, where people meet. That I've, there's this woman who, she was huge in Christian publishing, but she was an alcoholic, like, a lot, until her life became unmanageable. And... Uh, she needed a power greater than herself to restore her to sanity. And she started, she went to recovery and went to Alcoholics Anonymous. And she said, in AA, there's a thing that I've always 
looked for in churches but never found. She said, I realized that people in churches, people in churches bond over shared beliefs. People in AA bond over shared brokenness. And people bond better and stronger over shared brokenness than they do over shared beliefs. But one thing about AA and the reason people go to it who need to is because um, there are other people who are doing this with you. There are other people who have done it before you. And they're sharing their encouragement, strength, and hope. But the third step is you have to turn your life. You have to do it. You have to turn your life over to God. Your will and your life over to God as you understand him. You have to do it. Nobody can do it. Um, nobody can do it for you. It's kind the dependency part, I mean, I hate to say it, but a little bit on the 4th of July, it's, it's a little bit un-American. Because like, Her Herbert Hoover gave a speech one time about American rugged individualism, which was kind of like, I can do whatever I set my mind to do. And um, I don't really need people to help me do this. And I don't really need people to tell me what to do. You know, it's just kind of a, a, a thing. You know, the third most, the f most common song sung at funerals in America. Number three is um, Time to Say Goodbye by Andrea Bocelli or Go Rest High on That Mountain by Vince Gill, depending on where you live in the country and whether Vince Gill is popular there. But, and the number two one is Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And the number one song sung at funerals in America is My Way. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. And it's like... Okay, so how's that going for you now? I'm not. I remember there was a one a gravestone in England, and it said, "Stop, O ye, who passeth by, as thou art now, so once was I; as I am now, thou soon shalt be. Prepare thyself to follow me." And somebody had scratched underneath it, "To follow thee, I'm not content until I know which way you went." You know, but they, but. Um, <laughs> So, but, um, but, it is, but it is that kind of thing where, um, and this is, you know, kind of an American thing where, um, and we get criticized for it, but I think that there's a lot of it in the kingdom of God, is that you have to do it yourself. And nobody can do it for you. Like, there's a lot of steps that you take in the kingdom of God that people can do it with you, people can do it before you, they can share, you know, they can share what they've learned, but nobody can do it for you. You have to do it yourself. It's how, it's the first step that you took into the kingdom of God, the first step you took into the kingdom of God. You took yourself. Like, you couldn't, nobody could do it for you. Jesus said, the road in the kingdom of God is a narrow road. There's not a lot of people on it. But it starts by going through a very narrow gate. It's like a turnstile in the, in, in the subway. You have to go. You may have to leave your friends outside because they don't want to go down the road you're going. You, but you find new friends on the other side. You may have to leave your family outside. But you'll find new friends. But you have to go through that gate all by yourself. There was a um, I think I told you about this. There was a woman that we had in our Italian church in Milano who, she came to know Jesus when she was 55, and her husband was terrible. Like, he, had, he was the worst. Like, if, she, if the pasta was 30 seconds over, he would just take the plate and smash it against the wall and walk out, and she wouldn't see him for a couple of days, you know, and all that, and he eventually, you know, left her and divorced her and stuff. But she made this step of accepting Jesus. And 
she got she became everybody's mother. She was the most awesome cook in the entire world. And everybody went to her house to eat. She was the one that we always said, at the marriage supper of the lamb, Benedetta is going to say, does anybody else think this could use a little more salt? But they, but at her funeral, there was, there, it was packed with Egyptian, Italians, Egyptians, Filipinos, Africans, Americans, who just talked about how much she meant to them. And it was the family that she found on the other side, it's, it's a, it's, um, so what Jesus came to do for us was Almighty God became a human being to pay for us, to pay for all the mess that I've made of my life and all the messy stuff I've done and said. And, but he came to pay for my shame and my guilt and your, yours, and he paid for all of it. And he rose from the dead, and he offers to whoever wants it a gift of a complete forgiveness in an instant of everything you've ever said, done, said, or do, in an instant. And a new heart, a relationship with him where he becomes like the one who's never going to leave you and the best friend you've always had, and God the Father becomes your dad. And a place in his family and a place in his home forever, but it's a gift. You have to take it. Yeah, nobody can take it for you. Other people have taken it before you. Other people can encourage you and help you to take it. But you have to say, I want this. You have to say it to him yourself. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's anybody in here who, I don't really know if I've taken that gift. You have to take it. You have to tell him, I want this. Like, I super want a new life. That's going to happen. It's happening around the country and around the world at Young Life Camps every week. And people that we know and love who are just doing that and leading kids. And they're going to have, the kids that are going, they're going to have more fun than they've ever had in their life. They're going to laugh harder than they've ever had in their life. They're going to be treated like little kings and queens. But the, every night, they're going to listen to somebody tell, to tell them something about Jesus. Like, why Jesus is the most important person you could ever consider in your entire life. Two, what is wrong with this world? Why is it so full of hate and hurt? And what is wrong with every human heart? Why is it so full of hate and hurt? Number three, what Jesus came to do about it and how he died and rose from the dead. And then they're going to tell them, they're going to send them out on Thursday night. And it's going to be dark over that whole place. And they're going to just ask kids to just be quiet. But they're going to say, if you would like to accept the gift, now is the time to do it. Tell him that you want it. And they will. You know, I, I don't know. I've, I think I've told you all a bunch of times. But one time I was down at Sharp Top where the kids are going. And I was the adult guest host, which is, you know, adults that go that are wanting to learn about young life. and it's, it's, it's kind of an easy job. It's kind of lame. But um, like I, I, I always want to do more stuff. But, there was a guy from New Jersey, he was a cop, and uh, retired, big guy. And I said, so Jeff, what are you doing here? And my daughter's on Young Life staff and wanted me to learn about Young Life and how they reach kids with the love of Christ. I said, great, great. Well, when, they, when, the, when the, the woman who was the speaker, Shelly, Shelly Sadler, she gave a talk and she said, was talking about um, what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with every heart. And afterwards, he was crying. And I said, Jeff, are you okay? And he said, I've never heard this before. I said, wait till tomorrow night, baby. This is going to blow your face, blow your mind. And, and uh, 
when they said, sent kids out into the dark, you could hear this cop crying over the whole camp. And I asked him, I said, Jeff, um, afterwards, are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. My daughter wanted me to learn how young life reaches kids with the love of Christ, but I think I found the love of Christ. I don't normally hug men, but come here. And he gave me a big <laughs> hug. <laughs> but um, it's a gift you have to take. You have to, you have, your first step into the kingdom, you take yourself alone. You have to leave this world by yourself. Nobody can, other people have done it before you. We can be there with you, but nobody can do it for you. I remember when uh, I found out that uh, Benedetta, when Benedetta went, that she got cancer, when we left, we had come home for the States for a few months, and she came to the airport and said, I don't know if I'll ever see you again. And I, I was weird. I didn't know why she said that, but I got a call a few months later that she had a cancer in the, of her brain. If I wanted to see her, I needed to come. So I went back, and I went to the hospital, and uh, it, she was blind. And she didn't see me, but she knew it was me. But we, when I first found out she had cancer, I had told the Lord, I want to hold her hand when she goes. And uh, it was Easter Sunday. The Easter Sunday, we, Saturday of Easter, we spent the whole afternoon up there singing hymn, praise songs together in the hospital. And then on Sunday morning, I was there with her daughter, Eladia, and I was just holding her hand, and suddenly she stopped breathing. It was the first time I'd ever seen that. And I had a profound sense that that is something, your first step into heaven is a step that you have to do alone. I, re I remember when my mom, I was holding her hand, and I said to her, I said, Mom, you need to fly away. And she did, in about 15 minutes. And I thought, that's the first time she's ever done one thing I told her to do, but <laughs> she, uh, but in the meantime, between your first step into the kingdom and your last step out of this world, if you want to follow Jesus, um, if you make up your mind to follow Jesus, there are other people who can do it with you. We would do it with you, but we can't do it for you. And it's a decision. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 9, if anyone, he doesn't say if all y'all or if y'all want to follow me. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, you have to decide you're going to do it. Nobody can make that decision for you. And if you don't make it, it goes unmade. But you have to decide, I want to follow Jesus. He said, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Daily, Luke said. It's a cross that you carry alone. My neighbor uh, was telling me yesterday that they were at the beach in North Carolina, and he and, he and his fiance were, uh, they were walking along the beach late one evening, and um, there was a guy literally carrying a gigantic cross on the beach. And he thought, maybe he's making a statement, or um, maybe it's a spiritual exercise. But he said, I ran up to him and said, hey, man, do you need help with that? And he said, yes, yes, I do. And he said, why are you carrying it? And he said, we just did one of those weddings that we always do down on the beach. And they wanted this gigantic cross. Will you help me? But in the real thing, you have to, you know, you carry it by yourself. But so in John chapter 21, after Jesus was, you know, he was risen from the dead. 
And people said the disciples, they went up to go fishing because they were discouraged, because Jesus was dead, and uh, they were going back to their old life. No, no, that is not true. For all of those guys, this was at least the third time they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. For Peter, it was the fourth time. They knew. And so, and they also knew now that Jesus was risen from the dead, he's going to be, he's going to send us. Like, he's got a plan for us. I don't really know what it is. But he said to Peter, I need to ask you a question. They were full of questions. Where are we going to go? And he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord. He said, do you love me more than these, more than these guys? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Three times he said, do you love me? He said, I do. I love you. The third time he said, it's kind of hurting my feelings. And he said, then I want you to follow me. And I think he asked him that question so much just because, I mean, if you're going to do it, uh, that's the only reason you'll do it, is because you love him. I love him. But it, it's kind of, but you know, it's like Jesus said, do you love me more than these guys? It, it's hard to know whether he meant, do you love me more than you love these guys? Which is important. Because like when Jesus, so like when Jesus, um, when you begin to follow him, he's going to lead you in ways that he's not going to lead anyone else. Like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand. Like he has stuff he wants you to do. He has a plan for you and it's only for you. There's things that you can do that only you can do and if you don't do them, they won't get done. And I don't know what they are. And people often ask me, how do I get plugged in to ministry? And I'm like, don't, I'm not the person to ask that. Jesus has a will for you. I don't want to tell you what I think. Ask him what it is. Tell him you want to follow him and say, tell me what to do first. He says, for he, there are good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just start walking with him. But he may take you places that he doesn't take anybody else. And you may have people in your life tell you, I think that's a bad idea. I don't think I agree with this. I don't think I think you're doing a very good thing. And you have to love him. You have to care what he thinks about you more than you care what they think, think about you because you might have to disagree with them and say, I'm following Jesus Christ. Like, so one of my greatest heroes in all the world was a, man, was a man who went to China in 1850 when he was 20 to be a missionary named James Hudson Taylor. There were like 90 English m missionaries and they all, you know, they all dressed like they were getting ready for a cricket match or whatever, like British people do. And he said, we're never going to reach these people. And so Jesus was leading him to dress like Chinese people and to eat like Chinese people and to shave his head and like they do and wear their gowns. And all the English people like laughed at him and thought he was ridiculous. But Jesus was telling him to do it and he did it. And, and, and the only thing is that Chinese people listened to him. And so, like Paul said, I don't really care what people think of me. I love them. I don't care what they, because he said, if I care what people think of me, I couldn't be a servant of Jesus. Um, I make it my ambition to be pleasing to him. I live for the smile of one. On the other hand, Jesus could have been saying to Peter, not do you love me more than you love these guys. Do you care about what I think more than what they think? But he could have been saying, do you love me more than they do? And it's like, really? Are we going to make the Olympics out of this? Who loves Jesus more? 
But when you think about it, like when the New Testament talks about your relationship with Jesus, it's like a relationship with newlyweds. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, um, I wanted to present you, each one of you, as a pure virgin bride to Jesus, your husband. A guy told me the other day, he was reading a book on biblical manhood. And I'm like, okay, I don't know where you're going to put that. But... It's how you should think about it. Like my relationship with him is like the relationship of newlyweds. And we're like crazy about each other. And when people like are married like that, they love each other more than they love everyone. And all I really care about, and so like there's a book, The Song of Songs, which is about the relationship of this young couple and the things that they, you know, all their intimacy and all their passion for each other and all that stuff. And, and uh, people said it can't be talking about what it seems to be talking about. It must be talking about like Jesus or whatever, but it is talking about that. But Paul said in Ephesians chapter five, that the intimacy of marriage is like God's way of talking to you about your relationship with him, and this is what he feels about with you. And one thing that they say to each other in the Song of Songs the whole time is, I just want to be with you, where we can be alone and tell each other how much we love each other and what we think about each other. And your relationship with Jesus is like that, and your heart beats together. And you start to care about the same things because you love him and he loves you and you know and you're just like your heart kind of becomes one heart and that's what happened like to Hudson Taylor like when he, when he was um he had to come home from China in 1860 because he was having a health breakdown but because he loved Jesus so much and he knew that all Jesus cared about was reaching people in China, like reaching people who were lost. And nobody seemed to care about it, but because he loved Jesus, he super, super cared about it. And he got to where he couldn't even really sleep. He thought a million a month are dying without God in China. And I feel like nobody cares, nobody cares. He was in a church in Brighton, and he just walked out, he said, because they were singing this stuff, but he knew that they didn't care, that people are lost in this world, and that we're here to reach them and the heart of Jesus breaks for them and he said Jesus said leave the 99 and go after the one but they're willing to sit here with the one and let the 99 go and he just walked out of that church and decided that he was going to organize a thing himself and ask God for 24 people who would go to China and reach people everywhere because I care about the things that, that the heart of Jesus cares about And that's how you'll find it. That's how you'll find um, what he has for you and um, what he wants from you. <sighs> if you make up your mind, I am going to follow him because I love him, maybe not more than anybody else in the world. But maybe, if it's the Olympics, I'm trying to win that. And you follow him yourself, sometimes 
alone into things that other people don't really understand or even agree with. But you're doing this yourself and you're following him yourself. And he's going to lead you into situations where you're not gonna know what to do. And you're not gonna have the strength to do it. And you're going to have to say to Jesus Christ, like a branch stuck in the vine, I need you to help me. I need you to tell me what to do. And I need you to give me the strength to do it. Nobody can do this for me. I have to do it myself. I need you to help me. And that's how you know what it means to abide and depend on him. Because you've made up your mind. Whatever he has for me, step by step, I'm going to do it. He said where your treasure is There your heart will be So I'm treasuring what will last It seems nearly everything That my eyes can see Is fleeting and will pass So you mm -hmm.